This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Mickey Willis, again, thank you for joining me in the trenches. It's great to be back. It is. Getting you back on my show is like trying to find <laughs> Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> well, I have to say to, you, to your listeners and to you before we get rolling here, I know that I was booked for a previous show and completely flaked on that. Um, my only excuse is I'm juggling five movies at the same time, which is not something that I would recommend to filmmakers out there, but because we're living in such urgent times when these ideas and um, you know missions arise, it's hard to say no. So I have mm. taken on five movies at the same time and um, thank thankfully I have an awesome, awesome team, but lacking a personal assistant that would have kept me on point. So uh, my, my sincere apologies for missing that show. Um, <clears throat> are you able to talk about those five movies at all? <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. So we have, of course, we have Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening, and that's my primary focus. And then we have a film called Follow the Silenced, which is about the people who have been injured by the COVID vaccines. And um, that, that one is directed by Matthew Guthrie that I'm producing. And um, Steve, Steve Kirsch, who's become a public figure out there, has helped with some of the funding for that. So uh, gratitude to Steve. And then we have a film called Bad Medicine, which is about hospital protocols killing people, which continues today. As a matter of fact, I, I'll be speaking in Sealy, Texas on Saturday about uh, the remdesivir problem and, and during a press conference and uh, doing our best to get these protocols stopped because they are uh, doing great damage. And I'll be happy uh, later in the show to, to talk about what I've learned through that. Um, we have a film that we're making about... Uh, independent schools, um, creation of independent schools, uh, educational programs to give parents an alternative to get their kids out of the corrupt school systems and create their own homeschooling co-ops with other families for those parents that don't have time to homeschool but also want the, um, their, their child to have uh, a social environment with kids, uh, learning the things that we all should have learned that we weren't taught, real world skills. And so we have that movie that's in production. And then we have a movie that was shot in Israel a, a few months ago, um, tentatively called The Promised Land. And, uh, and that one is just, we just started editing, editing that last week. Funnily enough, the mm -hmm. one that has caught my attention is the homeschooling one. It's something that I am fascinated with, particularly in this era of propaganda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, it's, it's critical because for those who know what's really going on, and I would... Uh, venture to say that your listeners are probably well-educated thanks to to you and to the uh, other people that are brave enough to to speak out um, and the our school systems our schools have all been infiltrated by those that are pushing the, this agenda forward many of them don't know they're indoctrinated themselves and so it's it's not like they got together and and twisted their mustaches and said how can we ruin kids most of them really believe that they're doing the right thing by introducing you know in, inclusivity and and talking about critical race theory and all of these things but um what's really happening 
at the very core of it, and I'll jump right into this because when I thought about what I wanted to, to speak to you about today, it, it's reminding people that Mao Zedong in 1966 launched the Cultural Revolution. And what ultimately became of that, it lasted for about 10 years, what became of that, plant, it, it ultimately planted the seeds for what is now communist China. Uh, people being held in their literally having doors welded closed and gates put up around their places, held prisoner in their own homes. We have footage in Plandemic 3 that's, that's I just screened it for a crowd in Los Angeles and it shocked them to see that uh, there were rows and rows of metal boxes with windows just big enough for a head to, 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 to uh, poke out that uh, these were COVID positive patients locked in metal boxes in China. It's a horrific thing that's happening there. We had young people protesting a few months ago. Those young people are now gone. They're either in prison or disappeared. Um, and now we have another round of protests that the media won't pick up on right now, which is the elderly, which are now protesting in the streets of China. Um, so when you understand Mao's cultural revolution, which essentially at its roots is meant to destroy everything worth living and dying for. So it attacks everything, everything cultural. And, and he, he literally maps it out of, of getting rid of the olds, he call, called it, anything old. And the reason for that is when we have a memory of, uh, we learn from our past, right? We, we, we grow up, we evolve, we look back at the mistakes we made and, and we course correct and we evolve moving forward, hopefully. But there's been a kind of a stagnation in our evolution because um, there are people that don't want us to evolve because if we evolve too much, we will stop following them. As simple as that. We will not, we'll realize that we don't need leaders to, to dictate our lives and they don't want that. They don't want free thinkers. And so Mao Zedong set out to um, create a, a genderless society. You know, the, the girls were wore short haircuts and dressed, uh, everyone dressed in the same uniforms so that we could, they could really deteriorate the attraction, the, the innate desire to date and mate and procreate. And as a result of that, China's in really bad shape right now from having brought their economy up to something that was quite impressive to now being at a place of realizing now that enough years have passed that there's things like their one child rule um, have created a society where there are no young people to carry on their society. And so they're, they're, they're facing a, a really serious collapse right now. And, uh, and so the school project is recognizing that that same cultural revolution is happening around the world right now. And they, at one point, they were focusing on the next, in, those that would inherit the next um, workforce, so mostly college students. So in the 50s and 60s and 70s, it was, the, it was the professors that were indoctrinated that were training these young minds to think a certain way so they'd move into the workforce and vote yes for all of these new ideologies that have ultimately now become very destructive. Um, but they now moved it to indoctrinating our children. And the dangerous part of that is when you are a college student and new ideas are pressed at you, you have a foundation that you can always fall back and default to. But when you're in your formative years and these, these new ideologies are inserted, there's no coming back from that. 
So we'll end up with a generation in 20 years from now that is uh, utterly insane. If we think some of the woke stuff is insane right now, uh, buckle up because that's what will happen. So uh, there's a lot of people that are seeking to give alternatives to parents to, um, to really thwart the effort to uh, destroy the minds and hearts of their children. And I'll tell you a quick story, a, a podcast I did um, early on when I moved to Los Angeles. During the podcast, I mentioned something of this nature, and the podcast host um, said, I'm just thankfully that I can afford to send my kids to a good private school. And I said, absolutely, that, you know, please consider that what you're saying is wrong because the private schools generate the affluent uh, families, uh, they come from affluent families that, that typically go on to becoming the next CEOs and the innovators and all of that. And so they're, they're some of the most dangerous places to be. The private schools are dangerous. I mean, the public schools are dangerous just because they have teachers getting paid a dollar an hour. I'm mean, not, you know, literally, but, but getting paid nothing. And, and they're in, in so much pressure on them to not do what they want to do with the children because they're afraid of being scolded for being misogynistic or racist or whatever, all these things that they just, they just allow the kids to do whatever they want to do. So those are dangerous uh, in themselves. Um, but the private schools are actually really, there's a focus on them uh, uh, of indoctrination. And so a, a year later, this podcast host called me and said, can you come by? And I, I, I went by his place and, and he ended up saying um, that what I warned him about a year ago, he's, the way he opened the conversation was he said, he sat down, poured us a cup of coffee and he said, it's in my home. And I said, what do you mean? What's in your home? And he said, what you warned me about a year ago, my 13 year old daughter now says that she doesn't know what gender she is, that she believes that her mother and father are fascist and she hates America and wants to leave and she's now cutting herself. And we, um, we're, you know, she wants to be on opioids. All of her friends are, are, are taking Adderall and all these things. And, and um, this is happening so much. And it's, it's one of the things that, that, that uh, bother me the most of what the way that uh, any parent knows you put so much love into your child and then to send them off to a place where they're supposed to get an education to come back and have them hate you, um, it's got to be one of the most uh, horrific experiences for a parent to have. This neo-Marxist infiltration, this cultural Marxist nonsense, how dangerous is it actually? It's really bad. And for those who think that Karl Marx is a good person that should be followed, I, I encourage you to look deeper because that ideology probably was passed on through some college professor or someone like that. Um, Marx's uh, ideologies would have appealed to me a few years ago. And it's what actually had me get on the road and document Bernie Sanders 2016 campaign because the rhetoric is about helping those at the bottom. And there's very few people that don't care about that. The, the rhetoric is about helping women, helping minorities. And there's very few people who don't care about that. That's, that, that's, that's the reality. People care about that. And nobody wants to see their neighbors or, or the people in the next town starving. And, the, and, and those who do are just sick. And so when someone gets up like Bernie Sanders and, and, and when you have a generation or back-to-back -back generations that uh, are not satisfied, are not fulfilled, they know they're not 
pursuing their life's purpose. They know that their job doesn't allow them to travel the world and and have the freedom they desire. They can barely pay their cell bill and their and their rent and their car payment. And they get disenfranchised and very angry. And then you have someone come along and say, it's the rich's fault. And, and you know, there are some really horrific rich people out there, and that's what we're fighting against. Um, but to say that, you know, to 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 insert that the, the solution is a Robin Hood theory that we just take more from the rich and then we give it to the people and we create a, a balanced society where everyone is equal. Everyone will end up being equal in poverty and, and, and enslavement. That's the reality. That's the way it's always worked. There's no exceptions to it. And those who are praising China and thinking, wow, I don't know, Marxism, communism, socialism, it's not looking so bad because China's economy and there were a lot of Chinese people that were saying just a few years ago, like, we're, we're, we're doing okay. You know, this is not as bad as you think it is. And now they're crying in the streets or they're uh, being totally politically uh, persecuted for their beliefs. And, and so, and the same way that we can look at uh, Canada and just everyone just, Canada was one of the friendliest, most inclusive, you know, uh, thriving places on the planet that everyone thought, well, well, if things turn bad here, we'll escape to Canada. It's in complete downfall of tyranny right now. And, and so all of these things end up bad. And so we have to understand that, you know, this Marxist ideology, and if you know Marx, Marx's past of a, a man who really never held a job, lived off his father, and, and a lot of other people did the work and even writing for himself, and he, and, 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 but he also appealed to those of us who cares. I call it weaponized morality, because you can take your morality or weaponized compassion is even another word for it, you know, and, and, and make you a promise that, that, Everything that's unfair right now will be balanced by just following these these new rules. And then it appears that they're working. There's an improvement for a period of time. And that's that's really, it's kind of like the lure to the fish, you know. It's shiny and fantastic and it draws you to it. And, and then next thing you know, you're hooked. And, um, and you're someone's dinner. So it's bad. But it's also a trap because saying Black Lives Matter... It's a trick because obviously Black Lives Matter. So if I to if I to now oppose it, I look like a dickhead. That's right. So all those catchphrases, we ha people need to really wake up to these catchphrases because they, it becomes a, a religion, hmm. and it, it's it's literally what brings people into a cult, and they have no idea that they're even part of the cult. And now they're out chanting a slogan. As you said, of course Black Lives Matter, and uh, of course there are many things that need to happen to to weed out the r remaining uh, bigotry that's out there. But there's bigotry in all directions. I mean, I, white people right now are, are some of the most, uh, you know, uh, they're being discriminated against, I'll just put it that way, white men, you know, and it's like, but we don't, we can't talk about that. We can't say that out loud uh, because we deserve straight. it. Who are straight? Straight white men. Yeah, that's right. That's that. We we are at the bottom of the uh, pyramid <laughs> of intersectionality, and um, and you know it's. But we can't even say that because the moment mm. you say that, they have set it up that there are words that are. It's like landmines, right? You there, you just can't walk in a certain direction. Um, otherwise, the 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 mob is there to course correct you and. And there's no freedom in that. 
And what these people don't realize is that while they think they're doing something good, because I was there, I understand them. That's also why I don't, I'm not um, one to call a, a lot of names, even though I get, I get angry at them because I have children. I feel like they're really threatening the, the future of my children. I do my best not to slander them or to just um, throw them out with this, this rhetoric that both sides, all sides are guilty of, of just really this dehumanizing language that we use. Um, because I was there and I understand mm -hmm. that how I was captured and I was captured because I care, as simple as that. Um, I was captured because I have felt disenfranchised as an artist forever. I felt, you know, I would see people making 10 times more money than, than, than myself by selling a product that hurts people and realize that I'm struggling to, you know, struggling to get by to, to create work that I think is actually helping people. And so there, there's a, a bit of a, you, you start to get bitter when you see that. You see the system isn't set up for people to do good things. The people is, the system is set up for people to, um, um, to ultimately uh, exercise their lust, their greed. And, and that's not capitalism, though. I think a lot of people make yeah. the horrible mistake of thinking that, that that is the system of capitalism. Um, but as all things, sex, food, all of it, all of it can be used harmfully. And so, you know, we don't say because there's bad food out there, you know, that we should boycott food. There are, are bad people that are, are utilizing the system of capitalism um, through their l l lust and greed. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, that's when it becomes a problem. But, um, uh, anyway, so the, the, this, and all of the, the cultural revolution is about demolishing all of that and coming into a place that, that is kind of, uh, there's a promised utopia, you know, that this is, this yeah. will get better, that th this will get better once we're all sharing and bartering and, and, and lifting everyone up. I think we should absolutely lift everyone up at all times and give people a hand when they need it. Now, those who don't want, want to work and don't want to provide and don't want to be, um, you know, uh, a functioning part of society, uh, I have a less compassion for, uh, unless mm. they can't work. If they're disabled to some degree or, or, or in some way, you know, challenged physically or, or mentally, whatever it might be, those people need help. And it's all of our part to do that. And I think that we would do that naturally. I think that's built in within us that we would do that naturally if we weren't so divided and and um, constantly looking for where we're um, where we're not in alignment instead of what we have in common, which is the foundation of that is just, you know, we're human. Well, you mentioned uh, divided and... Um, I'm immediately reminded of that beautiful video. I think it's you released January now, the last month, I think. Uh, tell me a little bit That's about right. that. That's right, yeah. So I made a video out of necessity, really, because as a veteran activist with uh, over 20 years or so of being on the front lines, I've learned to recognize a, a trick that is played on all of us. When any movement becomes too powerful, there are rumors planted within the movement. And some of them are, are planted from the outside in, and some of them just develop organically from within through people's own paranoia. People, uh, some people have the drive to uh, 
to seek attention, so they want to say something shocking. They want to be first to report something. Um, and when they run out of, you know, when the narrative gets old, when people are like, okay, we now understand World Economic Forum and COVID's a scam and this was what happened. And once they've built a podcast or whatever it might be around uh, delivering new information, and once that information is no longer new, then they seek the next round of, you know, um, bombshell information. And, and sometimes that leads them to say things, bad things about good people. And what I, what happened is we had a lot of doctors within the, the freedom, the medical freedom movement that were starting to, um, uh, there was a lot of infighting happening. <clears throat> and I've seen this in every single mission that I've been involved in. There's this point when it's a small group of people, then, the, then it expands and it gets media coverage, and then people come and, and we start to make progress to say, listen, we the people need to stand and, and make changes that, that work better in our lives. And, and the more people that gather and the smarter that people get and they, they educate themselves within the movement, they start to really learn things they didn't know before and they start to study politics and understand what political policies are and they get smarter and smarter rapidly. And everyday people suddenly become these leaders and they rise up and their mothers, their fathers, whatever it might be. And that movement develops a synergy that, that becomes so powerful that then the next phase is, well, uh, you know, divide and conquer. It's how do we get those people now fighting each other? And the entire game is divide and conquer in, in, in all areas. Um, any movement, it's, it's why, you know, there used to be a, a, a gay community and then it was gay and lesbian, gay and bisexual, and then now it's LGBTQIA+, and it just keeps going. And that, that's a perfect example to see that they don't want any group too large. So, th so if they can get them, all the feminists are fighting each other now. You know, they're the ones who are for all the trans ideologies, and they're the ones who say, I don't want to shower next to a man just because he calls himself a woman. I don't want to do that. And so now they're all at war. And... And so it's a very dangerous thing. So I started to mediate between these relationships. I, I, I know them all because, you know, I interview all of them uh, more than once and I get to know them. The people I interview, I get to know. They often stay at my home. And so I started to call all them and say, you know, I saw what you said about so-and-so online and I really ask that you reconsider that because even if you disagree with them, even if you don't like them, can you recognize that we're on the same team? And that that person, you might not even agree with their science, but ultimately they're making more progress um, than not. And, and they should be allowed to do so. We need everyone, all hands on deck right now. And so I went through this, mediating these conversations for about three weeks or maybe four. And, um, and finally, it just, it occurred to me that I, I saw it happening everywhere. You know, I saw the Daily Wire and Steven Crowder and all these people now that are, that are supposed to be on the same team you know, out online slandering each other. And so I, um, in the midst of all of I have to do, I just said, I think it's worth it to stop, pause, take a couple weeks off, and to share what I've learned as a um, veteran activist, the need for us to be aware that it is, that is the only thing. I believe at this point, it's the only thing that can stop us is, is once we start infighting, once we start distrusting each other. And as I say in the video, I, there are some people that need to be called out, even within our own team. There are people who are detrimental to the, our forward momentum, and I'm happy to call them out. Um, but most of the time, what it is is, is 
people that mean well, think they're sharing something valuable for the people, and they'll start to use military terms like controlled opposition and all these words, you know, Ooh, they're, they're compromised. Draws, and, and draws me mad. I know, and uh, me too. And so they'll use all these terminologies and... and you know, co controlled opposition is, 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 you know, it's, or, or they'll use PSYOP, this person's a PSYOP or whatever, which is a, a, a um, psychological operation. And what they don't realize is they're literally doing the bidding for the very forces they think they're resisting. That's the problem, is, is they're, they're taking the bait and they're now sowing seeds of distrust against those who are making the most progress. So like my friend Robert Malone, not a perfect man, has done some things even that I've called him and said, I don't support you there. I think you need to undo that fast. He said some things about people online too, but, but it was really him that prompted, I, I had a long talk with him and he said, you should make a video on this, you know, because he says, what you're saying makes sense. And, and you know, at the heart of it all is even when we're, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever it might be, we're still dealing with some unresolved childhood trauma. And a lot of the people I've talked with have said things to me that's very telling. Like, why are you attacking this person? He's on your side. You know, and they say, because I've been bullied my whole life and I won't be bullied anymore. And I said, uh-oh, that's, that's a childhood wound that is, is resurfacing in this moment that blinds you from understanding that your work is now doing more destruction than good. And so I made the video to hopefully bring that together. And I'm so glad that it's, it's, it's making the rounds around the world right now. I've, I've, I've uh, received a lot of messages and a lot of, you know, I think it's, it's for me, it's, it's more rewarding than any pay that I could receive because I've had a lot of people say that it's, it's helped them heal relationships. And one in particular was a, an editor, one of my editors, who I didn't even know that he was at odds with his mom since the beginning of the pandemic. Never told me that. And said he sent uh, her the video and she called him and, and they, they made up. Um, and you know, that's the kind of stuff that we need to do is, is just let bygones be bygones. And there's so many families that have been destroyed because of COVID. You know, those who are mad at their parents for getting the vaccine, those who, you know, are mad at their siblings for not getting the vaccine or getting it, whatever it is, it's, it's created such a division. And, and that's one of the many um, goals of, of the COVID pandemic. And it's, um, it's done, a, they've done a good job at that, but we need to, we can, we can undo it. People like you though, have made a very big and positive difference. Um, I think on the lives of millions of people, I mean, pandemic is, I think probably the most watched documentary in history or something to that effect or and and at the same time most censored what about you have has your work taken you on a journey of enlightenment oh yeah of course you know it's it's all, all of our work should do that if our work isn't doing that i would imagine that your work is doing that it, it, in work that requires you to be engaged in in the human story always should uh, awaken you to some degree you know, and, and I learn something new every single day and it's not always good stuff. You know, it's a lot of it is just recognizing how deep and dark this black hole goes and, and how the tentacles of, of the people that are at the forefront of this agenda, uh, how far reaching they are. It, it, it blows my mind that they have been setting this up for, it must be a hundred years at this point that they have slowly, uh, I, 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 I was explaining this to my kids the other day and I said, um, I said, what do you think 
is stronger, water or a stone? And of course, most people say that was stone. And it's like, in the immediate, yes. But over time, no. The water will erode the stone over time. And it's, and, but there's no, no one's even captured that erosion that it takes so long. And it's, it's kind of how they've, they've gotten our nation and yours and, and everyone else is just through this very patient step-by-step introducing new ideas, always based around a crisis or some moral subject that allows them to um, suggest that, you know, they're doing that with guns right now, you know, so it's like all the shootings and stuff. Yeah, it's horrific, but it's not the gun problem. It's a mental health problem. It is a problem of young men being shut out um, one of the other films that I didn't mention, I, I just started as a, a film about the war on masculinity of what's really happening to our young men around the world. And, you know, they, they will blame it on, on, the, on the young men when it's really a societal thing. It's, it's, it's when you shut these young men out, when you give them nothing but porn to relate to and video games to relate to, and when they're not allowed to have a voice in, in, in the building of, their own, of the world around them, when they are um, when they are medicated because they are they are hyperactive or whatever the 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 diagnosis might be, instead of looking at that as I have a hyperactive eight year old, and I just see it as like, man, that kid is is so on fire that you know it's he doesn't stop talking. I'm always like Zuri, just like like. 10 minutes. I love that you have a questions about everything, but he would be diagnosed if I sent him in for diagnosis. He, he would be diagnosed probably with ADHD because he's just a thousand questions a minute, but it's, I just see that as brilliance. Like what, how do I now create the outlet for him? Because when he's engaged in something, I mean, it's what this little man does at eight years old blows my mind, but you have to give him the outlet for that. But what most of them do is they, they want to dampen that they want to take that yeah. down let's oppress yeah. that now because really the what what is unwanted in the world right now are people like elon musk they don't want people someone that goes out there and and becomes one of the richest people in the world that is innovating at the level that elon musk is innovating that can buy twitter at 44 billion dollars open it up and show the world how they've been lying to us show the world that 98 percent of twitter employees donated to the democratic party so it is it's not even like it just leans left it's radically left 98 percent of the people at twitter you know it's like that's that's not a comment on either party it's just that's our town square. And if our town square is so slanted in one direction, we will never have fair discourse. And so mm. they don't want someone to come in to actually say, this is what your, your town square has been totally co-opted. And here's the proof because I have the money to buy it and, and show you guys. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, it's when you look at all of that, you know, the, the next round is, you know, coming after guns because they understand that the people, it's like 20% of the people now that, that have any kind of trust in our, in our government and for them to be able to achieve what China achieved, you can't have a armed society. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's February and I believe in the U S it's black history month. And so as a result, I'd like to give a nice high five to the world's most successful African-American, Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
I, I always I always laugh at that too. You know, it's like, I, I guess now there's a whole new trend that 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 black people want to be called black people in you know instead of African American, and, and to a degree it makes sense. You know, because you know it's Elon Musk is an African American. <laughs> and so Charlize Theron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but doesn't it show also, Mickey, that some of these labels are just so ridiculous? They're all ridiculous. You know, years ago when Morgan Freeman did a, I forgot what it was, it was a, a big talk show, a, a 60, 60 Minutes or something like yes. that. Yes, I know where and, you're going. Um, it was, I think it was with, with Mike Wallace, right? Um, I, I disagreed with him at the time because... I was indoctrinated. You know, he basically said, he said, do you want a Jewish history month? And, and yeah, you know, who, I think it was Mike Wallace. He said, um, he said, no, God, no. And he said, I don't want a black history month. I don't want to be relegated to a month, nor, nor do I want to, to, you know, to be divided in that way where we have to keep drawing attention to our skin color. And he said, if you want to end racism, I'll stop calling you a Jewish man and you stop calling me a black man. And I remember just thinking, God, this guy is so dumb. You know, like, you know, we have to talk about this. We have to bring this out. We have to, you know, eradicate all the, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that I was learning as a, as a radical lefty. And now I look back and it's not that I at all, I want my kids to know the truth about slavery, but mm. I mean the truth about slavery. I want them to yeah. know where the word slave came from. They know that. It's like Slavic. Like those were some of the most crucified enslaved people. And that's, you know, and to understand that to, you know, is, is like there's a history of, to know the fact that Africa was some of the worst slave owners. You know, black Africans were some of the worst slave owners selling Still their to slaves this day. to. Still to this to day. To this day. But, but nobody wants to talk about that. So there's absolutely mm. a slave problem. You know, there's there's slave auctions happening in areas that we've we've created regime changes and destroyed places, you know, in the Middle East. Um, yet we, we obsess on this here in a way that is all meant to simply divide us. And and it's been sad because um, when you look at the analytics of when all this started and my hero, Thomas Sowell, said that uh, racism was on life support until Obama came in. <laughs> and I have to agree with that because uh, Obama was actually the first president that I voted for. And I was really proud of that. I just thought he just had so much charisma and I loved, I loved that he was a family man and he made sense and, and, and he really spoke to me. Um, and, but when you look at the analytics of uh, words and phrases, uh, there's a couple ways that we do that. You can actually see that there are um, you can just do it for fun. You can look at you can look at birth names. You know the the name Betty is on a decline. No one's naming their child Betty anymore. You know there's things like that that happen. There's a lot of people naming their kids Elon now. So it depends on what's happening within the culture at that moment. Um, you can also look at words like white supremacy and racism and racist and all of that. And you can see because we have the internet and the ability to track how many people around the world in the World Wide Web are using these this language. And you can see at the Obama era, at every time that he was stumping for a candidate, another candidate, or for himself, or the you know for his second term, all these terminologies were diving, and then boom, you know a, a steep in, uh, incline, because he needed them to win votes, and that's these politicians and these media propagandists are 
are creating a very dangerous world where they're literally creating racism. So now what happens, the, the, the power of resentment is really uh, is, is something to be aware of because when you can say this trans person is in a protected class, so they might just be an asshole. But if you call them an asshole like you would any asshole, now you're transphobic and now you have protesters at your home. And what that creates is a resentment that I can be called an asshole or anyone else can be called, but this protected class, you, can, you cannot call them out. It has nothing to do with their gender or anything. It's just like you, you, can, you can, I don't know if people are aware of this, but you can be transgender and be a jerk. And, but you can't call them a jerk. And, and so what that creates then for the average person and, you know, students that realize that, that, that um, you know, that they're in a, involved in an altercation at school, both parties are to blame equally, but the non-trans kid gets punished and the other one doesn't because this, the school, you know, leaders don't want to create any kind of a media hype or anything like that, then that kid suddenly now moves from a place of, you know, that resentment starts to build where he says, I don't like these people anymore. And so they, act, they know that that's the way that they actually create hate. They create by starting with just resentment. Like, I resent the fact that you have rights that I don't have. I resent, you know, I re anyone resents that. It's, not, it's just not a fair and balanced world that one, one person can get away with something that another can't. And that, is the, that still also happens in a realistic way in some territories within the U.S. regarding black people. So I'm aware of that. I'm not in denial of that. There are, are some times that a, a white person will be caught with cocaine, and this was, you know, the, the, bill, that Clint, bill, uh, the bill that Bill Clinton passed, which uh, in, disproportionately criminalized crack cocaine against cocaine. Now, what happened is that you would have a, a, a white person that could afford cocaine that would receive a slap on the wrist, and a black person that would have the same amount of crack cocaine and would receive life in prison because of the three strikes you're out rule. Donald Trump ended that. No one could celebrate that in the U.S. B Obama promised he would eliminate it. Mm -hmm. He didn't. Donald Trump eliminated it. But we couldn't. I went out online and I said, can we at least celebrate this? And it was a resounding hell no, because you can't give him a win. Yeah. And so that's when we, we get so, so tribal that, that we then kind of lose, lose the footing of our, the path towards evolving. Because now mm. we, we can't even acknowledge that that's a good move because that's part of life of going bad move, good move, bad move, good move, good choice, bad choice. And then we get we yeah. become smarter and wiser and we move in a better direction that actually takes us where we want to go. But the reason but we're losing that compass, that inner compass, so that most people are landing somewhere in their lives and they're going, how, how did I get here? This is not where I wanted to be. And now you have a disenfranchised person who mm. you can then make promises to that will follow in your any lead and even destroy fellow citizens. The thing, Mickey, though, is that you're touching on something that's quite meta. Um, it's something I've thought about a lot. Um, you, you, you were talking earlier about controlled opposition and, and how people uh, get into infighting. And yes, a good example of that. Have you noticed that people, even on, on our side, quote unquote, they have become too binary. If somebody like Donald Trump 
put out Operation Warp Speed, which I think every sane person will agree was a terrible decision. All right, that doesn't Horrible. mean that that doesn't mean that other decisions that he did were also terrible. He made some good decisions. Um, for example, he pulled out of the WHO and the Paris Accord. I think those are great decisions. The problem here Fantastic. is that people. The problem here is that people have become one or zero. They're either 100% amazing yeah. or they're 100% yeah. the devil. There's no nuance. Yeah, so that's anti-human. And that is, that is one of the ultimate goals because humans are flawed and we'll always make mistakes. And that's how we learn. If, if all your listeners can think about the events in your life that have made you a bigger, stronger, better person, a lot of the times... It's a breakup, a horrific, painful, excruciating breakup. It's a, it's a death of a loved one. It's a loss of a, of a dream job. It's what, what, you know, name it. Those are the things we look back on and we go, wow, that actually made me who I am today. Gave me a thicker skin. Um, I had one business that failed. You know, and it was embarrassing for me because I raised money and, and, I, I, and I, we, I, it, it failed. Uh, that made me a better businessman to never do it again, to realize the, the errors in my way and what I needed to learn. And also that I'm not a, a good CEO. I had to learn that and that that's not my job. And uh, nor do I want that job any longer. But I tried to play that and, and, and it cost me and others. And, but I learned from that. I wouldn't be doing the, I do good business now. I have good business relationships now, but I don't know that I would be able to say that if I wouldn't have learned from that, that one of the biggest errors of my life. Um, and so, you know, it is anti-human to suggest and to even think that we have to be perfect. No one is, and we will never be. And that is, you know, we are perfectly imperfect, I like to say, you know, because even within the, our imperfections is divinity is like, that's how we're supposed, that's how we're built to be, because this is the game of life. This is the challenge of of moving forward and and growing and and experiencing the life with contrast you know as a cinematographer um i love light but what makes light beautiful is the shadows mm. and without shadows you have w one or two dimensions at the moment you bring shadows into it you have three dimensions you have depth and so the shadow gives us depth the darkness that we that we are meant to experience and i and i mean that very intentionally because there's a lot of drama that we bring into our lives that's unnecessary but there then there's the rest of it which is all part of the hero's journey to to experience those hurdles to have those as joseph campbell would say uh, the man who coined the phrase hero's journey you have threshold guardians so the moment you want to cross into a, a new state of being and a new state of awareness there are guardians are you there? Did we freeze? Ah, I think I think you froze for a second. Mickey, hang on Hello? one second. No, I couldn't hear you. So we're back. Yeah. So it's it's something that that's necessary in life, you know, that 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 really it, it makes the picture of life beautiful. And and so approaching the shadows for for me, I just understand that it's the it's a necessary contrast so that we can we can appreciate what we have because it's proven time after time that when you there was an incredible experiment called the rat park experiment that happened um, a few decades ago um, uh, basically they they 
they wanted to study humans through studying rats and had them addicted to morphine water and realized that once they created a, a, a giant utopia rat park that they um, suddenly stopped drinking the morphine water so that the study was about addiction and that wow once the rats had an environment they could enjoy uh, they no longer needed the drugs and uh, but what a lot of people don't know about that experiment is uh, all the rats died in two years and so what that says to me is that that even though they had everything given to them they had you know that they could mate whenever they wanted they had all the food they needed and they were in a very large uh, contained environment as large a massive environment so it wasn't like a little cage it was large they still couldn't be rats they couldn't perform their duties as hunter gatherers they couldn't go out and 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 defend themselves against the predators they didn't have to go out and hunt for their food and so ultimately, all, all these rats died. And, and so there's, the same can be said for a lot of the empires that have been constructed around this utopian vision, that when we don't have a little bit of struggle, when we don't have to work at all, it sounds great to a lot of people who just want to you know, smoke weed all day and play video games and, and all of that. But when we don't do that, not only do we become unhealthy in our bodies because our bodies are built to move, um, but we lose the sense of purpose. And I don't know if that there's any fate worse than losing our sense of purpose. Mm. And once we have lost our sense of purpose, because, you know, there was a point in life when I actually coined this phrase and I believed this shit. And I said, we're just moss on a rock. I've gone through every phase you can imagine from being a Buddhist, a Taoist, an atheist, everything you can imagine, to coming around to a whole other side of, of um, a whole other perspective of life. But I used to say we're just moss on a rock. We're trying to make meaning out of something that's absolutely meaningless. Oh, that's the rock empty. being earth. And um, I no longer believe that. That was the ideology that was being drilled into my head, and that's the, also the ideology that has the next step further is we're just parasites. Yo, that's I never dark, went eh? that far, mm. you know, and that's a, that is a, a lot of the Marxists believe that we're just a cancer on the planet. And a lot of our movies, even my favorite movies like Matrix and a lot of them, um, you know, they, they pass on these ideologies that that humans are just a failed experiment. And we um, we are just a cancer on the planet. And that is so opposite of what's true. I've got a quote here with which I'm sure you will relate. Uh, the, the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Yeah, so that's from Sun Tzu. Um, his incredibly powerful and dangerous writings about the art of war. Um, this is an, a methodology that, while it was coined um, thousands of years ago, um, it, uh, it remains at the heart of Chinese military strategy today and within our own uh, borders of our, our, our own nations, particularly within the U.S. or within our CIA and other, other agencies like that, that understand that the way to defeat the enemy is from within. All of Sun Tzu's lessons were really framed around fighting without having a fight, making the enemy fight themselves. Um, to fight their allies and themselves, the internal battle of thyself. Because once you get there, once you can have um, people unhappy with who they are, 
the moment that, that the gift of life is discarded and it's no longer a gift to you, then it, it, the most horrific acts of tyranny and, 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 um, and destruction are possible. Because if you hate who you are, that means you hate a human yourself. If you can hate who you are, then it's really easy to hate someone else, especially those who remind you of yourself. So that projection is a very deadly thing that happens uh, so much. You know, a lot of times the people we hate, it's actually because there's a part of them that reminds us of that element of ourselves that we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And, and there is something to be said for the, the simple gratitude and appreciation of this life, of being are having our souls injected into these instruments that we call our bodies to have this experience experience exactly the way it is. Um, I had a monk tell me one day years ago and it stuck with me. He said, resistance is the cause of all suffering. And I just knew like it vibrated through my body. I knew in that moment, like that was this man just says something important. And I don't mean the resistance like we need to, there's a lot of things politically we need to resist, but I mean the resistance of what is, the resistance of reality, the resistance of life, you know, of saying, no, they were too young, they shouldn't have died. Well, it's like, well, you could feel that and that's part of the mourning process, but they did die. And so obviously they weren't too young. And and so, um, unless they were, you know, I understand when it's someone's wrongfully um, taken from this, from this planet. Um, that, that those things should be resisted. Um, but to resist who we are, to resist your height, your weight, your skin color, your IQ, whatever it is, you know, we have a real deficit in, in, in people appreciating the, the gift that they've been given. And I told my, um, I set my kids down one day because one of my boys got my genes in height and my other boy got my wife's genes in height. And uh, she's Filipino. Uh, and um, as a Filipina, um, you know, she's five foot tall. And my son, he maybe he'll have a growth spurt. He's only eight years old. But, you know, one day he said, why am, not, why am I not tall? How tall was my brother at my age? And I said, he was taller. And you might not be that tall. But, and he was having an issue with that. And I said, um, I said let me explain it to you this way, buddy. If if you bought me a new car and you said, come on, dad, close your eyes. And you took me out in the driveway and you pulled the cover off of it. And it's, it's exactly the kind of car I wanted, but I didn't like the color. And I went, ah, ugly color. How would you feel? And he goes, not good. And I said, yeah, because my obsession with the color was overriding the generosity of the gift that my son worked hard and went out and bought me a car. Do you understand that? And I said, and this is whether people out there believe in God or not, but I use the terminology God with my kids. I said, imagine how God feels. Imagine whatever creation that brought us this body. Let's just, let's just say that, there, that there's a divine intelligence that, that actually gave you this life. How disrespectful is it to curse the vessel that you're in this is this is your car that you're living in that gets you Mm -hmm. around life this is this is what gets you from from here to there 
And he got it. He got it at eight years old. You know, I said, okay, I see that. It's like, I said, be grateful for what you have exactly the way it is and exactly the way it isn't. Be grateful for that because what happens in that place of gratitude, and it's an incredible pitfall to compare ourselves to any others because we are, we are exactly who we're supposed to be. It is only the trappings of society that say a man should look or be this way or a woman should be and all of that. Um, and that is all just an absolute construct of, of, of society trying to sell you products. Mm. None of it has any basis in reality. But what happens when you are in a state of appreciation for yourself, then the best of you gets activated. I, I was a teacher for a number of years and I had this student named RJ. RJ had screwed up teeth. He was a tiny little guy and he had no problem attracting very attractive girls because for whatever reason, RJ didn't care. And it was, we always laughed about it because he'd come in, he's five foot tall and have a 5'11 girlfriend. We were like, wow, how does RJ do that? And it's simply because RJ appreciated the vehicle that he was given. I brought in the Sun Tzu quote um, deliberately because you were referring to your various journeys that you've been on. And one of the excellent strategies of destroying a society is by destroying the individual. If you wake up every morning with no desire for the day or you have no sense of purpose or you have no reason to be healthy, then you've lost. That's it. You, you cannot win any battles after that. That is 100% true, my friend. Uh, you, you, that, and that is, that is the state they want everyone in because at that state, then you become, you become a robot. You become something that's controllable. You then just now listen for the leaders to guide you and tell you where to go, what to think, what to fight, who to hate. Definitely not who to love, um, except for themselves. The leaders only want you to love them. And that was Mao Zedong. You know, I've interviewed a lot of people who lived through his cultural revolution who said we had to every morning read his little red book and chant basically our praise to the chairman and which he called himself chairman Mao. And, um, and so you were right on point, you know, that that's at the core of it all is just the appreciation for, um, for, for the self. And, and from there you regain your awareness of what your path is because it starts to come to you because now your if your outlook of yourself is low then what appears before you is a low path your outlook of yourself and i don't mean egotistical at all because that's the other side of this problem but just appreciation for your life exactly the way it is and the dramas the traumas everything you've experienced just to say look nothing has happened to me it's all happened for me as horrific as it is, I have some pretty extreme childhood stories and, you know, all the way down to my mom and brother dying in the same month, taken by bad medicine, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of other things that happened in my life that I could certainly cry victim over. Hell no, I'm not a victim of anything. Mm. Standing in that power of saying this happened for me also allows me to move forward with more strength 
because as things occur and that as I'm attacked, as I have been by global media and and politicians and all of that, I've, I'm old enough now to, to, to know that in the moment, this will present itself to be divine. And so instead of fretting over this and letting it harm me mentally and physically and spiritually, I say, bring it on. And, 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 and do what you have to do, because all you've ultimately done, I look back now two years ago, and I thought, what have I done? There was a moment when I just said, okay, I didn't know this film was going to go this big. And I'm now on the cover of all these newspapers and stuff as a horrible conspiracy theorist that's killing grandma and grandpa. Can it get any worse? I had that thought for a moment. I look back now and just say, thank you. Thank you to our corrupt mm. media. Thank you so much. Because without you, this film wouldn't have reached the masses. Over one-eighth of our global population saw the first pandemic, and it would not have occurred without these people trying to stop me. So I believe that the, the, that good always prevails. And, and I would have been stopped in that moment. Uh, if it would have been 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I probably would have stopped and just withdrew, and you never would have heard from me again because it would have been too much to handle. But it actually gave me strength to move forward, to say, great, I got that out of the way. Like my mother dying was one of my greatest fears in life because she was my best friend. After she died, it was her, it was a horrific experience in, in the beginning. And then I realized I had just dealt with my greatest fear. So anything else that came my way was met with bring it on because I've already dealt with my greatest fear. And so th that's how we evolve by accepting the challenges that come to us. But we can't really, um, if I, if I didn't appreciate, learn to appreciate myself, then I might have taken to heart what all the media was saying about me. And that could have destroyed me internally. That's the point I'm trying to make. But it had, it had, I only had power on me for 15 minutes. Mm. And what you're saying also is that in order to win global battles, you have to first win local battles. Everything starts from the inside out. And that, I'm so glad you brought that up. I love how you listen, because that is really an important point that you're making there, because um, a lot of the, uh, I, I was at, had back-to-back -back interviews yesterday, and one of the metaphors I used in this, I said, so, you know, if you consider that we spend a lot of time, we've recognized that the tree is bearing toxic fruit, and we're all going around trying to pluck the fruit, and then here's a new one, and oh, it, it's back, and another one, and, we, and we're doing this not understanding that there's a soil issue at the roots of this tree and the tree will always produce toxic fruit. And so uh, we spend a lot of time trying to uh, work from the outside in. And that's almost an impossible task because it has to happen from within. And that's why the video that you, you brought up about unity was really about, you know, the video ends with the question of how bad does it have to get before we're willing to change? because we enable all of this. And the, and the moment that we take responsibility for the condition of our world and the condition of our daily lives is the moment we empower ourselves to do something about it. But there's a lot of people who don't want responsibility and that's the key issue. Because the moment they take responsibility and say, I was part of this, and I'm, I might still be part of this, 
and now let me be part of the solution. The moment they take responsibility, then that story they tell themselves that it's their fault. And they just keep looking over there because that, it's their fault. Uh, they can't tell that story anymore. Now they have to take responsibility for all the little micro dramas they create in life for their failed marriage and, and, and you know, all the relationships that have failed. They have to start the self-inquiry that comes with that of like, yeah, is it all everyone else's fault of what's occurred in my life? Or am I, could I mm. be a participant in that? And is there a chance for me to grow beyond that? There's a, and that is part of life's journey is, is, is just that growth. There's a, you know, there's a reason that people go and climb Mount Everest. It, it pushes them be, so far beyond their rational mind because they're actually doing something and they're passing bodies that have not been, that are, people have died on the trail, and, but they have to face that mortal, their, their own mortality. It's an extreme experience that they know they may not come back from, but for some reason, because their life has not been designed to, to the, to see their life as Mount Everest, that there, it's it's a climb, it's, a, it's worthy of climbing, and that there's a reason for it. Instead, so many people just camp out at the base mm. and curse out the people that are climbing. And they just go, you know, I, I thought someday I'd have the, the view from up there, but apparently this is all my life has allowed me, and I'll, I'll never get up there, so I'll just, I'll just camp down here and, and have resentment for the people who are actually doing the climb. Mm. And, and, and that, that, you know, the moment you see that, then you can actually take responsibility and say, the only way I'm going to get up there is by making the climb. And, and, you know, but that, that, that begins with having the, the relate, readjusting your relationship with yourself, Mm. that, that you're capable of the climb first, you're worthy of the climb first. And that it's worth it, um, and that you're willing to risk everything to have that experience, because you know the other side of that experience is a a, a new and and bigger you. I was part of the self development world for over 15 years, probably 17 years, and and I, I'll say this: um, I have mixed feelings about that world because I found so many charlatans on that path. And so when I say self-help, I I don't want people to hear that as part of the self-help movement, because I will tell you that at least half of them are just about putting butts in seats and selling books. I've worked with them and, and they're not people I'd even want to have at dinner at my house. And then there are some really good ones, people who truly care. Um, and, and there are really good books out there. Um, so we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I won't do that. But, but if you're not in some kind of form of self-development, uh, I think you're missing the, the, the potential of your life. Yeah. Because all of life is an education. You don't have to take a course. Mm. You don't have to. But make life. You can. There's some great ones out there. And I highly recommend it, particularly for men. There's some really great men's work out there. And it's very important to be circled up with with other men that are articulating things that you might not even know you're dealing with until another person speaks it. And then you say, oh, wow, yeah, I do have that issue with my father. And and if you can just heal those things, Mm. um, 
there's an improvement that takes place in your life. But outside of those workshops and all the things, it can also become very addictive that I don't recommend doing forever. There's a point when it's just like, no, take what you've learned and, and, and make life your classroom. That's what I recommend to, to everything. I do my best to, to look at every situation. And I, it's, it's so cool to have young kids because they're just so, um, they're so thrilled to dig into new concepts. And so, you know, we will have, we'll go out on a little journey just to get ice cream and there'll be something that occurs to me and I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Sometimes I'll pull over in the car and go, did you guys see what just happened? And, and they'll say, what? I'll say, okay, so that person was cutting me off in the car and this happened and then this, but ultimately what, here's what I got from it. I got to see myself. I got to, and I'll, I'll express it to them. And lo and behold, it's beautiful because, you know, later they'll come to me and they'll say, dad, remember that time when you pulled over and you told us what occurred to you and how you saw yourself and how reactive you were being. And, and, and I said, yeah, they go, that just happened to me with my friends. And I remembered your story and I, I started to get angry with them and lash out at them. And I decided, no, actually, let me, let me make the most of the situation. Let's analyze what's really happening here. And it's amazing to see how quick children can adapt to those um, tools. Um, so it's, it's incredibly important that people look at all of these situations as you know, like that monk said, resistance is the cause of all suffering. There's a mm. lot of horrific things happening in our world right now. Here we're dealing with chemical spills all around. Talking today, you know, to my wife, how do we deal with this if it, once it starts raining down on us and all the stuff that's going on? We're just dealing with the errors of of of, of really incompetent people um, that are destro destroying our environment and 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 what could just be a very fun, enjoyable existence. Mm. Um, and, you know, but it's, it's important to look at those things as they're unfolding, as they're unfolding, not 10 years later, but as they're unfolding, mm. that's true mastery. And I'm doing my best to get better and better at that, to say, okay, I have a, my reaction. <laughs> let me have that. Let me, let me honor that. Here's my reaction. Let me cuss a little bit. Let me tell you how I'm feeling about these bastards. Now, Where's the gift in this? What's the value in this? What could potentially be the upside to this tyranny? Is it possible that we're going to have the most patriotic, awake, aware society that we've ever had? I've, I've watched everyone around me become citizen journalists, people who I couldn't even share a link with four years ago that weren't interested in reading anything to do with current affairs that are now just absorbed daily. There's there's a, a, a too far in that, too. We can go, mm. you know, give yourself a break from that sometimes and just enjoy nature. But like people are becoming. It seems like part of our society is becoming dumber and dumber, but a, a great deal of our society is becoming more intelligent every single day. They've lost trust in the right people. They've lost trust in these people that call themselves leaders. They start to realize that that they don't need a guru. Mm. They don't need someone to lead them. We all are born with an innate sense of intuition and our ability to raise our children, to create our own food, whether that be growing or hunting or whatever it might be, to take care of ourselves, 
to even heal our bodies. It's all mm. built within. It's all built within us. We were designed by this incredible infinite intelligence to be capable of self-care in all directions. Yet we've been led to believe that we're consumers and workers and that the people who run the system will take care of us. The fact that we're waking up from that illusion, I see that as a massive win, a, a something that we need to start celebrating now, because mm -hmm. that will ultimately, we have a much darker period that we're going to go through. I don't want to mislead anybody, but I think that ultimately will prevail and we will look back at this moment in history um, and it's going to take years for a lot of people to heal through the mental stress that they've endured through this. We, we're going to have a you know, mental illness epidemic, I, I mm -hmm. think, in the next 10, 20 years that we've never seen before because people have been um, so terrorized mentally. And when you're not strong mentally, when you, you don't see yourself as, as brilliant and resilient, and I don't mean that egotistically, I mean that appreciation is part of understanding that the human body is brilliant. Mm. What it does, the equilibrium that, that it takes for me to even sit upright right now, for you to sit upright, for us to listen to each other, to process what's being said and, and heard, to be able to respond. There's millions of functionalities taking place in our body right now to make this conversation even possible. We're extraordinary instruments. You know, we're, it's really quick, easy for us to look at a, a fine automobile. And, oh, Ferrari. Wow. Amazing. We can just or a piece of technology. It's brilliant. But rarely do we look at ourselves and just go, wow, amazing what the human body has endured since the beginning of time and how it's evolved and what comes out of it, both good and horrific. We have the capability of, of both at all times. And the goal is to move us more and more and more towards good, understanding that then what's that what then occurs as bad is the necessary shadow to create the contrast for this 3D reality. Out of the Plandemic series, the end of Plandemic 2 is my favorite piece of media that we've produced out of this little tiny studio that we run here. Because um, it's, it's what I wanted to say um, it's what I've learned from being on my own path. And, and, and um, so if people want to see that, just that part of it, um, go to plandemicseries.com and look at the video down at the bottom of the page. I think it's called We Are, we Are the Ones. And that's an excerpt from Plandemic 2. And it just really draws attention to everything that you just said, uh, that we have been led to eating these processed foods, these fast foods that aren't really food. Our body isn't designed to eat them. And then that creates then an onslaught of illnesses and allergies and things that then require medications. And then those medications have an effect that creates another issue that we need to then create, you know, therapy over or more medications over. And it's just this endless cycle of, of filling the body full of synthetic things even ideologies, synthetic ideologies and, and, and things that get passed on as medicine, but really are not. Um, and, and they, they, they help you for a short period, 
by having you not deal with the problem. You know, we get a we get a fever and we take we take some pill to make the fever go away. The fever is supposed to be there. You know, not, there's a certain extent when you need, you might need to ingest the medicine to deal with you know dangerously high fevers, but the fever is there to ward off infection. And so, on one hand, we're you know we're we're finding that immediate relief, but we're doing long-term damage because now we're telling our our immune system that you don't need to do what you were designed to do because when things occur that you thought was your job, I have another remedy. And so you can just relax. Mm-hmm. And um, that's very dangerous. We become, wow, it's, you know, lifelong customers to big pharma. It's a win-win. All of it's a win-win for pharma. Mm-hmm. The worse off we are, the more, the better off they are. And so we have to be aware of that, but also, you know, be aware of our extreme thinking because, you know, medicine itself is a very important thing. And I am not anti-medicine at all. It's, it's, I've had a knee replacement. It just blows my mind that I have a, a, a parts of a dead man in my, in my leg. You know, they were able to transfer that over to me and, and allow me to walk better. Um, after a motorcycle accident, it's, it's astounding. And the fact that I didn't even feel it, I went to sleep and woke up with a new knee. It's, ex- it's extraordinary. Um, again, we're, we, you know, that's how brilliant humanity is. We've invent, invented these things that normally it would have hobbled me my whole life and prevented me from being athletic ever again, because I, I had some severe damage to my right knee and I was able to fix that through, through, you know, through good, good medicine, good practices. Mm. And then it goes bad. But we have to be um, more strategic and mature in our thinking that we don't fall into this extreme, these extreme patterns of thought. It's kind of like saying, okay, uh, our, bad, our food is causing obesity ep- epidemic, so let's boycott all food. Well, then you starve to death. It's understanding that um, food is necessary, but real food is necessary. And and so if we if we the you know comfort and convenience is killing us, and I really want people to hear that comfort and convenience is killing us. Destroy your comfort zone. Destroy it, because mm-hmm. that little box you put around you and society puts around you that has you. And I get it, right? You're tired. You work. You work all day. You just want the least interference and the least things to deal with when you when you come up come home and you finally have a weekend off or maybe one day in the weekend off and you just, you don't want to think, you don't want to, I get it. I get it. I, I feel that way sometimes, but we have to be careful that, that we're not avoiding the discomfort of our own evolution, that we're actually taking on the challenges that are presented to us and that we're, and that we're, we're, and I, I started to mention a metaphor earlier. I think I said Fight Club. And the metaphor I was going to mention towards that is, you know, the, the, it's an, and that's a very old mythology of the, of the person who comes to join Fight Club and they're left out on the, on the stoop, right? Now nah, we don't want you. Go away. And the next day they're there. The next day they're there. 19 days later, they're, okay, come on in. There, there's, a, there's a certain um, ancient methodology that I, I think is used at an energetic level that has us prove to ourselves and whatever this infinite energy is that guides our life, 
that we're willing to endure the discomfort of sleeping on a porch as long as it takes to be part of that thing that we that we know that we're, we came here to be part of. Mm. Um, now, if you just go away at the first denial, then you never have that experience. And so it requires us to be vigilant and willing to endure that discomfort to um, to and that just might be even speaking out. There's a lot of your listeners, people that are listening to us right now that know what's going on, but they've made the, ch the choice to be safe. And in some cases, I really understand that might be the highest move for you. Um, but in most cases, it's not. It's, you know, I just don't want the headache at work. Mm. And I don't want people to, to see me on a different team and start treating me differently. I, I, don't, I just don't want the discomfort of them knowing that I'm not part of their tribe. And what they don't understand is the more that people do that, the uh, you're accelerating the takeover of your nation, wherever it is that you live. And mm. a day will come very soon when you won't even have that job because it will be automated and you will be the first cast out of that position. And so whatever it is you're trying to save right now, won't be savable very soon unless everyone starts every expert I've asked I said what's the solution what's our what's your advice to people and every one of them has said everyone needs to speak out get uncomfortable speak out and I don't mean shame people I don't mean debate people I mean stand in your truth whatever that might look like for you you know stand there and let people know where you stand I don't agree with this I don't see this I don't think that men should be showering with girls if they choose not to. I don't think they should be competing in sports and crushing female athletics. I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm saying that out loud right now. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that has anything to do with compassion. You know, especially when you have, it's like compassion for one side and you're crushing the other side. There's a, it's an easy solution, you know, create another, another, uh, venue or another um, category uh, category that allows trans people to compete against each other, you know, fairly with, with, you know, the, the condition of their own bone density and, 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 and testosterone or whatever it might be, you know, it's not fair to women who have worked their entire life mm. to be able to achieve th something athletically than to have a man who ranks 700 and something as a swimmer come in and suddenly become the world champion and crush all their opportunity yeah. of, of achieving what they, it's, it, if we can't see that, just that at this point, and if you're not willing, people aren't willing to say, that's just not fair. That has nothing to do with whether I accept trans, gay, or whatever, that has nothing to do with that. Mm. It's, it's in the same way that I wouldn't put a, a, a 25 year old man against a 12 year old child. It's just not a good match. It's not fair to do that. And so, these things we need to speak out against and risk what comes with it. You're going to be called a transphobe or whatever. You know, that's not true. Maybe it is for some of your listeners, but, but it's not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not transphobe. I just see the, the, the practicality of crushing female sports is, is, is I, I don't, I don't, I don't stand for that. I will I'll never stand for that. But, but Mickey, let's be honest. You're not a biologist, so you don't know what a woman is. That's true. That's true. Um, 
it's, it's, it's hard to know what a woman is these days. Um, but even biologists appear not to know what women are these days. People that are being asked that question directly. But it just shows that cowering to the mob. You know, and I'm not going to go out and say, I'm not a guy that goes out and says hateful things. I'm not going to go out and mm. say hateful things. Um, you know, I was listening to Matt Walsh this morning. I love Matt. I might be working with him soon. I think he's a very, very, he's very funny. But part of me goes, you know, you know, he's funny, but, you know, he, you know, he, he, I think he's, he, he could grow up a little bit with some of his language, you know, because mm. there's one thing to stand firmly against something. And there's a one thing to say, these are trash people. What he doesn't realize in those moments is, we're perpetuating the very uh, same thing that the, the the radicals that we think we're opposing are this idea that you can, because of someone's belief, you can now determine them as a parasite or trash. You're now serving the, the dehumanization yeah. agenda. And, and it's we have to grow up to realize there's a way to state powerfully what you have to say. And I think 98% of what he says is just spot on and powerful. But then there's that insulting part mm. of, of, of his choice of words that I think he could, he could improve and maybe he, but he's got his right not to, if he chooses not to, and that's just his style. And that's, that's what he is meant to bring to this experience, this myriad of, of um, variety show we call life. Then, then cool. That's his thing. I have my own way. He has his way, but that's part of the acceptance of others to say, listen, some people are really crass, you know, it's just not me. Um, and they have a right to be, and and it's it, it requires us to be wiser to be able to um, decipher the message, the essence of the message of that person. Because sometimes mm -hmm. if I get someone screaming at me, calling me names online, and, and that doesn't happen much anymore, but a year and a half ago, two years ago, it was happening a lot. I'll have my first reaction Oh, you think I'm stupid, retarded, whatever you're, whatever you're saying, and I can come right back at them and show stupid posts and things they believe in that, but I, I have to stop and go. Yeah. What good is that? What good is that going to do me? And is mm. there anything I can decipher from their their criticism of me that actually might be helpful to me? Did I do something in here? And I, sometimes I go back and I look at what I said or what I wrote, and I think. Oh, that's probably what triggered them. So is there a way for me to make this point that doesn't increase the polarization? Can I make this point in a way that will be just as strong, not to dilute it or censor myself, but is there a greater choice of words that I can use that would actually allow this person who now is my hater to hear our commonality, to actually hear some logic that might help that person get beyond the brainwashing that I was once consumed by myself. Can I help them? Because I understand mm. that, you know, I, I got out of it and it's possible for anyone to get out of it. So I'd rather help this person get out of that than I would just to add on to the dehumanization of this person by, mm. by resorting to smears and, and, and horrific language. You're standing on the battleground of the information war and you look out at the horizon at the enemy in the distance what is it that you see
a misguided human being. In some ways, I see myself. I see... When I say this in certain circles, I, I think it some people fail to grasp the depth of this and they might shrug it off. But we have a, a parenting problem on this planet. So I see a, I see a, a grown person that is still dealing with childhood voids. Because if they can stand there to oppose people that are my opponents oppose freedom. My opponents oppose happiness. My opponents oppose love. They oppose family. They oppose peace. And if if that is who I'm looking out at, standing at the opposite end of the battlefield, if I know that that's, that's where they come from or they wouldn't be fighting me, then that tells me that there's a massive void in their life from the way that they were brought up. And for those of us that have children or will have children, all I can say is there's no more important job than that. Raising your children, being especially as a father, us, we men, have been relegated to being the providers, thinking that it's the woman's job to be the nurturer. And women are fantastic. Most women are fantastic at that. It's an, an innate quality. But that's in us too. We are all of the above. We are the providers. We are the protectors. But we're also the nurturers. And we can learn so much about ourselves through our children. No mirror could be clearer than the reflection of our children. And so I would look across the battlefield and just wish that their parents would have been more present in that person's life, to know that that person actually was meant to do great things and they've gone astray. And so the way that we heal that and, and prevent that from perpetuating in our future is by giving much more care to our children. We don't just throw them in a school eight hours a day, then they come home and we feed them and get in the shower and I go to bed. Quality time. And I mean, and you know, time in nature where you're just fishing or whatever it might be, being involved in your kids' sports. But beyond that, those beautiful, precious moments that, that if we just get out of our own desire to um, always just serve the self, but we realize, like, there are times, like my kids last night said, Dad, you put us to bed, you know, and it's like, I'm really tired tonight, guys, but okay. And I go up and I lay down with them and we have deep conversations. We start with, what was your favorite moment of the day? We often start with that because I want them to frame their mind around looking at what was good about their day. It starts to condition them to see the, the gifts of life. What was your favorite moment of the day? And they think about it and they go, you know what it was, Dad? It was... This thing happened and they tell me these great stories. And from that story, we then dig into, and why did that mean so much to you? I don't know. I just really felt like she was kind and, and she really cared about me in that moment. And it's like, why, and why is that important to you? And we dig, we go deeper into the exploration. And each time we do that, my kids are starting to, they're learning more about how to, how to navigate their minds and their emotions. 
and we have a, a, a an illiterate, emotionally illiterate generation. Don't know how to express what we're feeling and how we're feeling it, so we just express it in rage or mean words or whatever. And if we could just get to the core of what's really going on in us, if we could, you know, we, most people know more about their cell phones than they do themselves. More about their technologies than they do themselves. And so to spend more time and really that self-inquiry of why do, why do I react that way when that thing happens? God, I notice when that kind of a person confronts me, boy, I have a quick, I'm quick to respond and react to that. Why is that? And you dig into those and you start looking at that and you find things in your life that are incomplete. You go, you know, it kind of reminded me of my uncle. I used to just talk so, oh, wow, I have, oh, there's something left over, residue from my childhood of having those moments of that critical uncle who used to scold me for nothing. And now when someone comes into my life and has a, a hint of that flavor, man, I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to battle that person. And so that, that becomes a, a crumb on the path to tell us that, there's, there's one more thing there from our past for us to clean up and to heal and to cure. And when we do that, um, it's, it's like it, it takes a load off. It takes a, uh, it's like we have a backpack full of bricks and we just take one out each time until we're lighter. And when we're light enough, you know, um, then we, we, we can then start that climb, that metaphor, that climb that mountain. But we know we can't do it with a backpack full of bricks. Mm. Okay, Mickey, how can I follow you or your work? Um, well, I would say uh, plandemicseries.com and it will say stay contacted or something like that on our website and, and sign up for our newsletter because that's where I announce everything that we're doing, our live shows. We have a very big premiere plan for June 3rd in Texas of Plandemic 3 and I invite the world out to that. It's free. I don't charge for my movies or, or my events at all. Um, and so that's one way to follow what we do. And a lot of my videos are there and my book is there for free. So I, I encourage people to download it. It's an awesome audio book because we actually brought all the characters back to read their own dialogue um, where normally you'd have a, a narrator. We brought David Martin and Judy Michaelvitz and, you know, a lot of little, little um, smaller uh, players into the studio to actually speak in their own voice. It was fantastic, fun, a lot of work. Gee, that's great. Um, and, and, you know, I did all that and I, I, you know, paid for that out of my pocket. My, my publisher was like, you're welcome to do it, but that's not what we do. That's, that's going to be a lot of work. And so I did it and decided to give it away. Um, and so it's all there for free. Check that out. Um, but, uh, pandemicseries.com is the best, best place. Um, and if you want to reach me personally, uh, there's a contact on there and I really welcome that from people. I'll let you know that, I've ad addressed the person who deals with our, our um, emails to personally send to me anyone that within the subject line is a, a, it's addressed to me. Please send them to me and I and um, I read every one of them. I hope you read my emails, Mickey. I, except for yours. I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something I just that's where I draw the line. If I would have read your emails, I wouldn't have missed the last show. So I need to start doing this. Mickey Willis, now, just, thank just, you. What? Oh, yeah, go on. I just want to say, I just want to say thank you so much. I, I was, I, I'm kind of on this little hiatus right now of a couple of speaking engagements, but because I have five films in production, I said I'm not going to do anything until May. Uh, but when this opportunity came up with you, it's I, I just remember the 
the first and only time I, I, I did the show with you. Just just really appreciating, really appreciating who you are, where you come from, um, and your wisdom and the way you guide these podcasts. And so um, uh, thank you so much for doing the work you're doing in the world. I'm glad to know that your audience is, is expanding. That makes me really happy. And just about everyone I know that is doing um, uh, pursuing truth out there, their, their work is exploding. And so, um, uh, congratulations on that. And, um, I'm here anytime. I always love to have a conversation with you. Thank you, Mickey. And, uh, Mickey Willis, thank you for joining me in the trenches. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com. 